Welcome to Queerly Forward, a podcast that explores queering our healing through pleasure, holistic well-being, and collective liberation. We are your hosts, Bex Lips and Morgan Vanderpool, two queer neuro-spicy therapists and community builders co-creating conversational containers for co-liberation. Let's, Let's dive, dive in. in. What does it mean to queer our healing? Endless possibilities. What does it mean to queer our healing? Letting wild nature lead. Come with your questions, come with your magic. Come, 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 come. resonance in my belly oh yeah 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 mm-hmm. um so with all of our conversations on this podcast we recognize that they are a stitch or a thread in the weaving of everything that we are co-intending through these conversations and who we get to collaborate with and I think this conversation in particular feels like a stitch or a thread um, in this co-weaving process and so we have the you know wonderful opportunity to share a conversation that thankfully I get to be in with you often mm. um, around what is collective liberation and how are we co-creating it. And we're going to muse today together on what is emerging in us right now around those two questions. Um, so I know for me, I want to take a few breaths to kind of just like center in the expansiveness and the complexity and the time boundness of this conversation um, and the time limitlessness of this conversation. Mm. Um, And for everybody who's listening and as we listen to each other, like just a deep invitation into like making sure we're listening to our well and good ancestors that, you know, have been able to stand up with their fists up in the air and their feet in the water and their hands in the dirt um, and can teach us through our own bodies how to do that too. Um, so may you take a few breaths wherever you're at to like center into that truth that lies in your genes and knowing that even though we can look around us and see a lot of examples of the, you know, uh, immobilization of liberation and the like restriction on our bodies, we can also see a lot of opportunities to see the wise one teaching us the way to go forward. Wise ones. Mm. So that's my like kind of prayer and intention and invitation as we start talking today. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for that, Morgan. Um, yeah. One of the, one of the things, you know, in the preface mode of before we, you know, get into the juice, um, in terms of these conversations that are just so big and huge and we are two people <laughs> having a conversation there's like a group uh group norm that I that I like to bring in of just like expect and accept non-closure this we want this conversation to stay open right it's <laughs> like like it is necessarily incomplete and mm-hmm. ongoing and ever flowing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I, I, I like the the metaphor of a thread. This is like one thread that we're weaving in the tapestry of collective liberation, which is a big old tapestry that's got a lot of patterns already woven in and there's like a long way to go. Um, and we might not ever like, finish that tapestry but we're gonna keep weaving it Mm -hmm. in our lifetime in our lifetime for sure yeah yeah Yeah. and may it get woven so that mother earth receives the safety blanket that puts out the fires that need to get put out and that we get Mm. to stay warm and well taken care of yeah all cozy wrapped up in (laughs) the the blanket of collective liberation let's get cozy y'all like oh my god i love it you know (laughs) It, our nervous systems hold a lot in 
what will come alive. And I think that's the other thing that I want to make sure that we preface this conversation for is that wherever you're listening to it, um, like, please breathe in the opportunities for your body to feel. Um, and so if you are in a place where it's too busy to feel right now, like probably best that you wait to listen to this, this episode. Um, until there is spaciousness in your body to be able to feel because we want you to, we want to be able to feel this conversation with each other not rush past it not ignore mm-hmm. it um, because that feeling is going to inspire the healing necessary for us to be able to make the changes possible um, so holding that you know and just holding the sensitivities too of our positionality in this work of collective liberation Um, like as two folks that are perceived as white and like get to experience a lot of protection from the systems of white-bodied supremacy. Um, Like we're doing our work around being able to model our own practice of deconstructing our relationship with that level of protection. But that level of protection tends to lead us to being incomplete, like very incomplete in these conversations. Mm -hmm. And so we hold that um, modeling willingness to like unlearn and learn actively. So like as with all of our episodes, y'all, like from from the beginning, like this is an opportunity for us to call us all into learning with each other. Mm. And that includes us as facilitators of these conversations on this podcast. So like invitation to call us in. We want feedback. Feedback is a blessing. Absolutely. And there's so much to learn, I think, from our both the the lineages that we are connected to through our ancestry and through our identities and also through the lineages of um other intersections oh mm-hmm. you know most definitely yeah absolutely um lots and lots of wisdom to be shared and that there's room in these conversations for like lots of deep listening mm-hmm. yep yeah so I'm taking breaths to keep my eardrum soft my diaphragm soft my pelvic floor mm-hmm. supportive but receptive yeah mm-hmm. alrighty um well, I have some ideas. I know you got some ideas. You want me to go? You want to go? I just wanted to um, maybe start with uh, emergent strategy as a please as a foundation um, or a, a a big fat thread yes. <laughs> in the thread of our yes. conversation. Um, so. I hope you're familiar with um, the book Emergent Strategy by Adrienne Marie Brown. Um, Adrienne Marie Brown is an amazing uh, writer, thinker, activist, facilitator, and many, many other wonderful things. Um, um, And this this book has been really, I think, foundational for me in, in a lot of ways over the last particularly like five years Um, and how she talks about, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to read you what emergent strategy is (laughs) from the book because I think that'll help. So what is emergent strategy? Emergent strategy is how we intentionally change in ways that grow our capacity to embody the just and liberated worlds we long for. Hmm. Will you read that again? Yeah. Emergent strategy is how we intentionally change in ways that grow our capacity to embody the just and liberated worlds we long for. One of the things I love about um, this framework, um, Adrienne Marie Brown draws um, a lot of inspiration from um, Octavia Butler, who is an amazing uh, fiction writer, and um, but not so fictional at all. But not so <laughs> not fictional, fictional right? at all. <laughs> and you know, in in one of her books, um, I believe it's Parable of the Sower. Like the the main character, kind of. Um, one of the like kind of refrains is around change. You know, mm-hmm. the like change is 
God. Change is all. Like the only constant is change. That's the only thing that we can really rely on. So we know that change is going to happen. And that can be, you know, good, bad, or neutral. Um, but it, but it is the, the truth. Mm -hmm. And so like emergent strategy is like, how can we shape that change? Because we can shape change. We do have the power to shape which direction change goes in. Mm -hmm. Some of it's out of our control, but some of it is within it. A lot. A lot is within it. Um, and so how do we shape that change to move us towards a future where everyone has what they need. Everyone has what they need, not only to survive, but to thrive, mm-hmm. um, including the earth and all the creatures on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like our relationship with change is so like deeply seated in our body as related to threat Um, because our lived experience, particularly in, you know, this colonized world, um, change typically means something really fucked up is going to happen. And we live that on an interpersonal level, too. So like if our bodies have experienced violence, like we anticipate change as the potentiality of a new threat. Mm. Um, And right now, the paradigm of, quote unquote, safety or protection under the auspice of systems of white-bodied supremacy and colonialism is that those systems protect whiteness. Whiteness is not only the lack of melanin in your skin, but it is a system of behaviors and a system of expectations about your body. Mm. Um, And any millimeter that your body falls outside of that paradigm of protection, our bodies have a very, very, very deeply viscerally embedded down into like our mitochondrial like code that if we fall outside of that layer of protection, then what we risk is annihilation, lack of belonging, and non-existence. Mm. And so every moment we make any choice to breathe outside of alignment with those expectations, our body is going to have the flood of sensations that like we will no longer belong, we will be annihilated, and it is sudden death. Mm. And so it is a constant negotiation of like, I make the choice to not receive protection And I then trust that when I step out of it, even though it's going to feel like I might die, I can invest in systems that will assure that I can stay connected to something that doesn't uphold those values. Mm -hmm. But making that transition, especially for those that have experienced more protection underneath it or Mm -hmm. have aligned with those values of protection, Mm -hmm. it's a constant negotiation amongst us. Like how, how how fast can we make those changes despite our body saying, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. Mm -hmm. And also how slow do we need to go so that we're not all blasting our nervous systems apart and not being able to like actually do the work. Mm -hmm. And we're like in that. Um, And there's a couple different ways that uh, I feel like um, authors that I really um, have built the, kind of like the mosaic of the framework of how um, I've been participating with as much as I can around collaboration or collective liberation that kind of speaks to this like negotiation of threat. Um, and one of them was like from the pedagogy of the oppress. Um, so moreover, there is how it's written in the sentence, but I want to read it as moreover, our struggle for freedom threatens not only the oppressor, but also their own oppressed comrades or our own oppressed comrades who are fearful of still greater repression. So we have a lot of negotiation of being able to be like, yes, I honor my survival understanding of like pushing back against the oppressor might mean sudden death and also staying in compliance with also means death. Mm. And so how do like, we're basically choosing how we want to die or how we want to live every fucking Mm. breath. And what are we living in alignment with? Um, And I don't know where, this is going to fall. I'm just, it makes me think of conversations with Aaron Johnson around like it's holistically resisting is you resist with everything. Mm. And like that comes down to that moment to moment decision on like what behavior code am I opting into? What layers of protection within these systems am I opting into? Which ones am I opting out of? How am I doing it? Mm. Constant presence and attention. <laughs> Ooh. You know, one thought that I've been having around 
resistance and um i think resistance is so crucial so <clears throat> yeah so devastatingly crucial but when i like when i think of the word resistance like my my body actually kind of like tenses oh, and it real? like you know is like going into like fight mode like if you're resisting you're like fighting something right mm -hmm. and that is exhausting yep to be resisting constantly on mm -hmm. every level and so and one of the things i love about holistic resistance is that like we can conceptualize rest as a form yep. of resistance because within this this system we're just we're we're just being worked to the work to the bone mm -hmm. you know and exhausted to the bone and truly nourishing our bodies hearts and minds with rest that's the liberated future that i want to see mm -hmm. and the deepest amount of rest for those who have labored the hardest absolutely yeah yeah mm -hmm. yep 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 yeah. So resistance doesn't always have to mean being strong and resilient. Mm -hmm. I want it to mean being soft mm -hmm. and tender. Valuing the strength that is inherent in vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we're talking about like what kind of relationships with ourselves and with others are we designing right now? Mm hmm. What, what are we centering at the, the center of that relationship design comes to mind as I'm listening to you. Mm. Um, one of the poets of climbing poetry, Alixa Garcia, um, who is an Afro-Latina, I think those are the words, if not, let me know, um, that she uses to describe herself and has done activism all up and down the Americas. Um, and in her design of her poetry and like her art and anything that she's co-producing or co-creating, she's like, I know what revolution looks like on the lands that I've lived on. Revolution is not associated with a good outcome. Mm. Because when people remember the violence. And she's like, I understand the inspiration as to why revolution is necessary and like the healing and the usurping of certain leaders and the changes in governments and the things that are necessary. But she's like, what I want to be investing is a, in is a solutionary future, not a revolutionary future. Mm. Um, and maybe she's grown on that you know, binary that she presented. But in the conversation that I heard her say that, I'm just like, yeah, so how do we revolve with one another? Because like movement is necessary in us mm -hmm. catalyzing change right now. Um, but how are we moving together, revolving together to create solutions? Because our bodies are really fucking good at noticing the problem. Mm -hmm. Really great at it. Like we are designed to notice what's fucked up around us to be able to be like, well, not going to do that again. Don't want to get in there. I'm just going to keep focusing on it, though. And so it can consume the way that we like move through the world. Um, and I love that base that she's offering, which I feel is like woven into so many of the like black queer femmes mm -hmm. um, and indigenous folks across the world around like together, y'all. Like together. What is this? Like solutions mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I could listen to her. <laughs> it's so fucking good. So good. Yeah, really, really good. Well, what, you know, when you're talking, we talk a lot um, in our conversations, um, both on and off the podcast, about the importance <laughs> of movement. Yeah, totally. Um, but it also brings to mind that, like, one of, I, I'll just say, I'll name, like, one of my most prominent, uh, you know, trauma responses to all of this <laughs> has been, and I know I'm not alone in this, is freeze mm -hmm. and numb. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's like become, like it's become really common mm -hmm. um, for us to rely on freezing and numb, in, feeling the overwhelm of all, all of the like forces that we're up against, the, the forces. The forces of fuckery. The forces of fuckery. And, and so recognizing like movement as an antidote mm -hmm. to 
those responses, um, especially freeze. Mm-hmm. Um, feeling, <laughs> feeling safe to move. Oh, how do we experience... <laughs> How do we experience like safety in our bodies? Like th- there's no, there's no guarantee of that, Mm-mm. but we have to move anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a couple of things that come like, like flourishing up in me as I'm talking or listening to you and getting to talk with you, babe. Like, um, you know, oh my gosh, so many pieces to it. Um, there's a, there's a, a quote from a book. Um, I had to bring my favorite quotes to this episode. Like <laughs> you came just, through with the quotes because they're today. just they're just so concise and like punchy. And I want to make sure that like more voices than ours are on the show as best as possible. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so this is a quote from a book. Um, it's a collection of of contributions called um, "Oppression and the Body," and this is from a chapter called "The Trauma of Oppression." And a um, so. One of the contributors is Merlin Frye, is F-R-Y-I-E. Um, Merlin Frye conceptualized oppression as means of immobilizing a group of, of people and reducing their options for behavior while requiring complicit compliance to this limitation and immobilization. Let me read it again. That, can you break that down for us a little bit? Most definitely. Um, so in conceptualizing as any system of oppression, um, as a means of immobilizing a group of people means that it's figured out the science of how to keep people in freeze. Mm-hmm. Um, because like if we move just an inch outside of the like agreements of whiteness, for example, or the agreements of heterosisnormativity, cis- like our bodies sense like, Ooh, nope, freeze and stay in that box. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we understand that we can survive through compliance to certain behavior sets. And we're like, the systems have also taught us to police each other too. 100% because I want to keep you safe. Right. Right. Like that's, mm. that's the, like, if we're looking at it as mm. an adaptive response, uh-huh. that's me as my fellow human. I'm like, yo bro, we have an agreement about what keeps us alive. Don't break that agreement. Oof. Like don't break that agreement. Oof. Which comes back to like the pedagogy of the press principle that like we were like implementing that we keep each other in check because we're like, don't do that shit. Right. No, don't do that shit. Uh uh-uh stop stay safe with me Mm. because if you do it differently than me then like all of a sudden I lost my belonging in our relationship with each other Mm. and so like there is a swirl in there around like because safety isn't the same for everybody what's safe for you might not be safe for me Mm -hmm. and vice versa and like the multiplicity of what feels safe we could go into that because safety means predictability more often than not yeah and we also conflate safety with comfort Mm -hmm. so that can get all messy but what we're really desiring is understanding that we belong to something. Because mm-hmm. when we belong, we start to feel safe. Yeah. So if we seek safety, whew, that gets messy. If we seek belonging and agreements around belonging and like where do I belong for what and how, then we can create belonging plans that are actually achievable. Safety plans are risky. Whoa. You're welcome. I love you. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> So the folks that you watch stay in the game, they're focused on belonging. And by creating belonging, cultivating safety. So when we, particularly through indigenous thought practices that are global, we first belong to Mother Earth. Mm. When we got dissected or our umbilical cord with Mother Earth got cut off because of colonialism, that's when we started to depend on each other for safety. Mm-hmm. because we got disconnected from our relationship with the land. So like a reorientation to like, where are you plugging in your umbilical cord? Are you trusting just people? Mm. Or like when you need a safety cord in your body, do you go to a tree near you? Because their roots are going to hold you a hell of a lot better than somebody else's dysregulated nervous system. Mm. As an example, one example like how do we move our bodies with the tides how are we noticing like what we really all collectively belong to because our belonging to mother earth is the thing that's going to create opportunity for us to design safety with each other yeah because ooh, what was this there's another book y'all Liber- <laughs> <laughs> i'm a bibliophile like yes nerd 
<laughs> uh, bibliophile and nerd, yes. Uh, yeah, so part of the Emergent Strategy series, this book is called Liberated to the Bone, Histories, Bodies, and Futures by Susan Raffo. And spoiler alert, I'm going to read you one of the last pages, but, you know, it's worth it. Um, <clears throat> so her guidance um, towards liberation, a piece of it, right? She's got a whole book here. Um, and I'm assuming pronouns. I apologize, Susan, if you use different pronouns. Um, we need only to show up, noticing where there is tightness, where things are hard, and where hearts are open and loving. I would equate that with our capacity to be able to move. Notice where movement's happening, where hearts are open and loving. And then we have to trust. Let that be enough, allowing each moment to emerge to show you in its own way what comes next. And that's the part that I'm like, yes, land it here. So like, I want to do us to do this fiercely, not passively. Mm-hmm. I want us to do this fiercely, not passively, with strong hands reaching as we say, this is what I want, what we want, and what we demand. Or pushing back hard and saying, no, not this, never again. Emergence does not preclude the fierceness of being deeply clear about our fight response, which is both our yes and our no in the present moment. This is why ending violence is the first step in healing, because as long as violence is active, just showing up is that much harder, if not impossible. We can edit this in or out, but there's another piece that I think wraps it up wonderfully. And now comes the rest of our lives, real people in real time, discerning, choosing, responding, reacting, connecting, isolating, ending violence, remembering ourselves in the present moment and doing everything we can to change the unfinished histories that trap us away from fully belonging to each other and to the earth that is our home. Mm. liberated to the bone y'all nice yeah thank you for bringing that in um well like not to keep going on our book train but (laughs) um no just listening to that quote um made me think of one of the books that i brought which is um um Coming Back to Life by Joanna Macy and um, Molly Brown. And particularly the the piece that stood out to me was around ending violence mm-hmm. um, and the importance of that for healing. Yeah. Um, so Joanna Macy talks about the great turning mm-hmm. as kind of the, the moment that we're in, um, having recognized um, that the system's um, that kind of dominate modern society are um, l- life sucking li- life. What is that? The opposite of life affirming <laughs> <laughs> life taking. Yeah. She calls it the industrial growth society. <laughs> yeah. That's <coughs> just like all about, you know, Profit and growth and industry and extractive Mm -hmm. um, technologies and extractive industries Um, and that we are collectively awakening to wanting to make this shift to life affirming systems that let fully um, honor all life. And so she talks about there being three aspects of the great turning and the first of which it's so important. It's um, she calls it holding actions in defense of life, and so this is essentially stopping violence, yeah. stopping the ongoing violence that is happening to people, to planet, to yeah. culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it includes like resisting and protesting state-sanctioned police violence against black and brown bodies. It includes resisting new oil pipeline infrastructure. Mm -hmm. 
it includes, you know, lots of other things like that is so necessary. And that in itself is that is one branch of what needs to happen to move us towards, you know, this this more Mm -hmm. liberated world um, uh, or Charles Eisenstein says the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible. Mm. So the second part of the great turning is transforming the foundations of our common life. So part of what this means is understanding the landscape that we find ourselves in. So having an analysis on systems, uh, having an analysis on how like how our, our governments work or don't work the 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 corporations that like secretly or not so secretly control them mm-hmm. um and all of that like we need to understand the landscape yeah while building al- alternatives yep um the like foundational systems of care like yeah. what does it mean to have housing for all? What does it mean to have universal basic income? What does mm-hmm. it mean for everyone to get access to health care? Like those systems are so important for us to build mm-hmm. as we're like having an understanding of what's what's going on. And then third is a shift in perception and values. Mm-hmm. Um, this is taking a look at what really are our values and how are we living them? Mm-hmm. How are we, you know, thinking about not just ourselves, not just five or 10 years from now, but future generations. And there's so much, I think, fear around, especially, you know, living in the time of climate chaos of like, is there even going to be a world for the next generation or the next seven generations. And that's a real question. That's <laughs> you know? a real question. It's whatever seven generations from now looks like will not be the same as whatever we're dealing with right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do we, how do we live our values with the hope and intention that there, that there will be, that there will be, Mm -hmm. that there will be life, that there will be possibility. Oh yeah. Um, And then this just comes to a larger conversation of like, what does it mean to, to live and embody our values, mm-hmm. not the ones that were just given to us, but to choose for ourselves what it is that we care about, yep. what it is that we value, and <laughs> seeing ourselves as not just individuals that yeah. come together to to accomplish a thing, but we are part of a larger web of life. We're mm-hmm. part. Uh, like we're so deeply interconnected and I think the other thing about this um, for me is there's somewhat of a spiritual component here oh inextricably so yeah there I say you know somewhat as to like (laughs) You know. <laughs> Sorry, baby. <laughs> I was like, no, <laughs> no, there, there is a spiritual component here. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, and I believe that there is no one truth. <laughs> you know, there are so many truths. Um, and like, I think that one thing that, that many different spiritualities have in common is this sense of interconnectedness of having a connection to something that is greater than oneself Mm -hmm. um, that looks like a lot of different things Mm. for a lot of different, you know, cultures or religions and whatnot. And religion as an institution, you know, has caused a lot of harm and violence, Um, but it's, it's ripped away from modern life, a connection to spirituality Mm -hmm. and connected to connectedness to meaning. Yeah. Um, and that is something that's that's so important for us to even be able to imagine a future is having 
a, a trust in this greater connectedness mm-hmm. uh, beyond just the very short little span of our embodied life on this earth. Yeah, most definitely. We were talking about like, um, you know, one of the things that runs through true in a lot of, um, you know, folks leading co-liberatory movements and ideation and design, like, is like, look, we got to look at Mother Earth. Like, she's what gives us life. She's going to be the thing that carries us forward. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we were talking about like some of the metaphors that we use is like, maybe call it a mantra or an intention or something that keeps you like guided in, in how to, how to navigate the, um, the intentionality over long periods of time for change to make, you know, its way. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I love about bees, um, beyond what they do to make sure that we have food and flowers and life around us because they carry it everywhere, um, is that a queen bee, as far as I've read, lives somewhere between five to eight years, about eight or so. And what is designed and built as far as a hive goes with her guidance over her lifetime can last up to 100. Mm. Um, They're that strong. And so there's like design principles that exist out there for a very, very, very particular reason because it keeps things in balance. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... I'm thinking about like what are the values that we have to opt out of that keeps us designing the you know chaos of cruelty of these you know systems like capitalism and colonialism, um, and what are the design principles, and what are we, so what are we opting out of and what are we opting in up into, mm-hmm. and we have to know what we're opting out of like that was stated and liberated to the bone like what are we saying a vehement no to no more never again not doing it mm-hmm. we got to say no. And trust me, like saying no is really fucking hard because yes is a lot easier when compliance keeps you safe. (sighs) (laughs) So it's like opting out of like two of them. And I think that if we were to keep them pretty close to heart is like, how do we opt out of individualism? Mm -hmm. And how do we opt out of centering comfort? If we were to wake up every day as a collective and be like today... I opt out of individualism and I opt out of centering my comfort. What could happen? Mm -hmm. Because when you opt out of those and you start to reallocate your energy to, yes, definitely allocate it to your safety. Yes, Mm -hmm. allocate it to your belonging. Mm -hmm. But also make sure that you're doing that while making your choices with others in mind. Like, how does my choice have rep- like ripple effects in my most immediate community, mm-hmm. in my city. And we got to, this is part of the like slowing down because we can't make these decisions when we're trying to move too fast. And now I'm not beholdening anybody that is at the pace of rushing for survival right now to have these conversations or do the ideating or put the like spoons mm. towards the building. That's not what I'm saying. But if we are, since we are investing in collaboration, like that's the intentionality that's necessary. And so board meetings got to slow down. Planning meetings kind of got to slow down. Mm. They got to slow down, but also be urgent. <laughs> it's like this very ah! gas breaks, gas breaks, gas breaks, gas breaks, oh, gas breaks. Uh, that's economy. Yes, it's challenging, <laughs> right? And it's taxing on our nervous systems. And so like, you know, this is what we're negotiating. If we rush, we will probably build things too quickly. If we rush, you know, we'll burn ourselves out. If we slow too down, we will die. So where's the like? I feel like it's about consistency. You know, like a steadiness. Yep. Where's you the know, and, and and that and that's gonna be what's sustainable, yep. right? Mm-hmm. And that's why I. I'm oh, sorry. Did I interrupt nope. you? Um. We have to move at the pace of our bodies because we're the only that's the only tool we got. Our flesh bodies. Flesh Uh, suit. Flesh suit. (laughs) (laughs) And so this comes like to why, you know, I special interest big time um, of like what my continued fascination with the human body has been. It's like if this is my tool 
yes, this tool will operate other tools. It'll mm -hmm. operate technology. It'll operate heavy machinery. It'll like, but this is my tool. This is like my one and only vessel to make the impact that I want to have while I'm on this planet. Mm -hmm. And so what keeps my body in optimal health and what are the wounds that I'm healing? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, um, because we've been so conditioned to unfeel the impacts of interlocking systems of oppression on our body, that's what they do. They numb us like you, we've been talking about already today. Practicing feeling our wounds collectively because what's happened is that we've practiced them behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I've co-opted into the system. I'm like, come behind my closed door and let's do healing. Mm -hmm. Granted, a fuck ton of change yeah. has happened from that catalytic healing that happens behind closed doors. So respect for one-on-one -on -one sessions, they are necessary. Yeah. There is also necessary for them to belong to collective conversations. Yes. Belong deeply to collective conversations. Mm -hmm. um, and so like... Yeah, we're practicing feeling around each other. Mm -hmm. And and that gets messy. It's super fucking messy. <laughs> and so that's also why like learning about our bodies is absolutely necessary because we equate our body's natural responses to something that shouldn't be happening, but it should be happening. And how do we hold what should be happening with each other? And it's also important that we get familiar with discomfort and feel okay with feeling discomfort because <laughs> messiness is usually a little bit uncomfortable, mm -hmm. but comfort is not the same thing as safety. Nope. And those get conflated all the time. So how can we be uncomfortable while we still trust that we belong? Oof. Because again, remember, safety gets confusing. Yeah. Because that's when we make like trauma-based decisions of like, I can never be safe around somebody like that. Mm -hmm. Adaptive, yes. Problematic when you're trying to collaborate? Most definitely. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. And so, I mean, then, you know, this just speaks to the importance of our communities, mm -hmm. um, the importance of holding each other in our complexity, mm -hmm. um, in all of our big feelings. You know, I like that you said, yeah, the importance of feeling our feelings or feeling our wounds which means grieving, mm -hmm. actively grieving. Mm -hmm. There's so much to grieve. Mm -hmm. And this has been something that like, I, I know we'll get into on future episodes, but expanding grief beyond like someone that you love dies. Mm -hmm. Like that's one form of grief. There, mm -hmm. is, there is interpersonal grief. There is collective grief there is like like to be able to like empathically feel the suffering of others like some some of my like before I was able to like name this as grief and the way that I kind of related to some of the the privilege that I have access to is mm -hmm. the grief of knowing that my privilege was based on someone else's oppression yep there's grief there yeah there's there's grief there. Yeah. And I it's so important for mm. people to feel that. Obvious, obviously, there is grief of being in a body that experiences marginalization and oppression. That grief is really that's at the center. Important. And there's also mm -hmm. grief of being impacted by those systems in different ways, mm -hmm. in the ways in which white-bodied supremacy destroys the humanity also of white-bodied people. Mm -hmm. The ways in which we, yeah, lose access to true belonging mm -hmm. at the expense of other lives mm -hmm. for this, like, false idea of safety that doesn't actually keep us safe. Mm -hmm. Um so there's so much to grieve. And the other thing when it comes, I think, you know, to collective liberation is there's also so much to be grateful for. There's so much that we need our movements to honor the grief and celebrate the joy. Mm -hmm. Um 
you know, this is what I appreciate so much about um, Adrian Marie Brown's pleasure activism. It's like, how do we make liberation one of the most pleasurable experiences possible? And there's a there's an interesting kind of pleasure, I think, in grieving. Oh, most definitely. The I I I don't fully understand it, but I know it on an embodied level, like the connection between like crying and laughing, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> um, the, the release, the connectedness that is possible when, when you grieve in community to mm-hmm. know that you're not alone in your pain. Oh yeah. There is, there's a, 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 a certain kind of, of comfort in that. Yeah. And, and the pleasure, pleasure. Oof. I started talking before my brain was ready. I have so many (laughs) different ideas going on right now. (laughs) Um, But like, cause I could, we could go into like the neurology of this. We could go into like who and how talks about this aspect of like what's necessary in our bodies because being a complicit participant in a system of harm is debilitating to come to realize and like take ownership and re- responsibility for it's mm-hmm. painful as fuck it's but it's a different kind of pain than yes. ever 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 having been the victim or survivor of those systems yes and you know one of the par- paradigms approaches i don't know how you want to talk about it um that speaks to this um is embedded in the t- in the work of Resma Menakem and mm-hmm. um, in his book My Grandmother's Hands, um, and he sets up a, a clarifying difference between clean pain and dirty pain. Mm. Um, now, from we can have a feminist conversation about that book later because he completely leaves out the survival responses of of folks who have been socialized as female or anything other than cis het men, but mm-hmm. we'll go there. But as we come back to the value of what he's bringing into the conversation, which is like pivotal, like talk about like a fucking rudder in the water that's going to turn the boat on the conversation of dismantling white body supremacy. Like, thank mm-hmm. you. Um, in that dichotomy of clean pain and dirty pain is like when we practice experiencing clean pain, when we let it actually pass through our body rather than holding on to it, feeling horrible about it, being so, you know, self-shaming about it and that kind of thing, then more often than not, because it continues to stay in our bodies, once we meet the body that we mm. feel that pain because they exist, we blast the trauma back into their body because there's receptor sites for folks who know what that pain feels like. Mm. So it's our responsibility to process pain in a clean way. Mm-hmm. How do you actually move that pain, take responsibility for it and move it? And our bodies have to move to move it. Mm. And so we can cry about it. We can laugh about the deep fucking irony and shit storm that it is because that's helping our diaphragm move along our nervous system to know that like we can feel it. And if we're allowing ourselves to feel it, we then have the like inkling that other folks around us will. Until we've practiced feeling it on our own in a very clean way, allowing it to release some way, shape, or form through pounding on the earth, through beating a drum, through wailing, Mm. through being held, through shaking, through being able to punch something, from being able to break something to know that you have agency and power for your fight response to flow through you. Like, we can do that. Our bodies are well equipped, but they are also, we need each other. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, our shared mentor, Aaron Johnson, one of the things that landed so hard for me the first time that I got to be in workshop with him is he's like my self-care when I need to experience my fight response is I need four bodies that are about the same size as mine to be able to pin me down and I have to try to get up I want to be able to fight so fucking hard against that to then be able to allow my muscles to release but if I don't ever get to encounter that kind of level of healthy resistance that resistance is going to stay in my body and it's going to come out sideways when it gets activated. Mm. So that's a form of like taking responsibility for our body continuing to have natural responses to a really unnaturally mm-hmm. violent world. Mm-hmm. And each of us have had our own accumulated trauma responses. And so a lot of us, right, like if we've frozen or we've submitted or we've fawned, those are statuses of like immobilization or compliance, which is different than a fight response like we have to each of those survival responses has to be released or processed differently Mm -hmm. and so it's our responsibility to take stock what are my survival responses how have they been misused to protect me and put other folks in greater danger 
or how have they put folks in greater, you know, at the end of the day, how have my survival responses put folks in greater danger? Mm -hmm. And what's my relationship with my survival response, how to take responsibility for it, respect it, say thank you, and also like, ooh, we got to do something different. Mm -hmm. And as far as our body is constructed, to move from immobilization towards connection, we have to move through our fight response neurobiologically. And that's the thing that scares us the most, that somehow we're not going to be able to fight in a way that keeps each other safe. Mm. And I think more and more folks, I think, well, I, don't, I actually can't say propor- yeah, proportion, but like in my mind's memory, the folks who know how to fight fair are the ones that get movements to move. You have a system of how to fight the system. You have a system of how we fight together. Like it is consented upon. Mm-hmm. We allow fight into the room. Mm-hmm. And it's not fight that's just getting spewed out in in like random directions yep. based on individuals. It yep. is like a collective. Um, t- Move those hands. T- <laughs> I wish you could see me. I'm, I'm moving my I, I'm speaking with my hands. <laughs> Why can't you hear my hands? <laughs> <laughs> it's tar- it's targeted you know yeah, it's uh-huh. it's it's concentrated yep. um it's concentrated power yep. strategically yeah it's the difference between like a forest fire that happens because we haven't taken care of the forest and there's too much fuel in there or a forest fire that's planned for forest clearing mm-hmm. it's gonna burn just as hot yeah but it's gonna have completely different ramifications mm-hmm so how do we create channels for that fire to run in our own bodies and in our relationships? Yeah. I want to circle back on um, emergent strategy because it feels like. Full circle. Full circle. Let's move in circles. Um, so just to, to revisit, you know, how we started um, talking about emergent strategy as how we intentionally change in ways that grow our capacity to embody the just and liberated worlds we long for. And I emphasize that word embody um, because of this conversation that we're having um, in the ways in which sometimes I think of liberation as this future world that we're working Mm. towards. And that's a piece of it. Um, But I'm really also interested in how do we experience liberation now? Mm -hmm. How do we practice liberation now? Mm -hmm. Because how are we ever going to get there if we're not practicing it in the here and now? Oh, it's happening right now. It absolutely is. We're only having this conversation because it's already happening. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And so, you know... I feel like it's important to mm-hmm. understand and honor our history. Yeah. Know where we came from and where we are now and how we got here. Mm-hmm. It's important also to look towards the future, long, long-term future, and think about what are we building. Mm-hmm. And that informs the the present moment. Mm-hmm. It's so important for us to be here in this present moment in our bodies that we are experiencing now. Mm-hmm. Um, and thinking through like we've been talking about, like what are our values and how are we acting on those? Mm-hmm. How are we acting from that place? How are we allowing ourselves to fully feel our emotions? Mm -hmm. How are we allowing ourselves to be held in community, to Mm -hmm. move in community? How are we... I I think a lot about how self-care and... Community mm. care mm-hmm. are to me one in the same, mm-hmm. and that 
taking care of ourselves is taking care of each other and taking mm-hmm. care of each other is taking care of ourselves. Yep. And that means tending to our bodies and hearts and spirits and minds. Mm-hmm. Um, I experience liberation in community when I dance, mm-hmm. when I sing, mm-hmm. when I breathe deeply, mm-hmm. when I spend time in nature, mm-hmm. like all those things are accessible to me and I want them to be accessible to all of us. We'll make it happen, Captain. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, I want to bring in the wise Angela Davis. Um, and as a black feminist political activist, who I just learned today, teaches in my hometown of Santa Cruz. <laughs> uh, anywho, um, one of her guiding quotes that stays alive in me is like, you have to act as if it was possible to radically transform the world and you have to do it all the time. And we're like guiding that into an embodied practice, like that's every breath, mm. you know, and a an awareness that it made got got made public in 2020 by George Floyd's murder was like when one can't breathe, we all can't breathe. And one of the things that does ramp like fly through our bodies is that we hold our breath. We breathe restricted breaths. We breathe breaths that lead us into thinking that things aren't possible. Um, our breath designs our cognition and our perception and our capacity to be able to even be approached or stay connected. Um, and so, like, what does it really mean? Like, in the 22 motherfucking thousand breaths that you take every day, how many breaths of them are you breathing to make sure that your body feels like it is cultivating liberation for yourself and for the people who you are connected to? Mm. And if we all did that, it's, we'd be weaving so fast so much faster and not too fast right because we'd be breathing breaths that are keeping us connected to mm-hmm. the collective mm. and tapping into collective liberatory breaths oversimplification but let's go <laughs> well that sounds like a really sweet place for us to end on breath and I'm wondering if we can just take a few breaths together mm-hmm. um, so I'll invite all of us to <laughs> can I feel my feet on the floor <sighs> bring awareness into our bodies wherever you might be whether you're Sitting, standing, walking, lying down. Bringing attention to your breath. Not needing to breathe in any particular kind of way. Just noticing what it feels like for the air to go in. Fill up your lungs. Feel the release. Welcoming whatever pattern of breath supports whatever your body might be feeling right now as big or as small, as fast or as slow, as rapidly punchy or as smooth as they may need to be. And honoring every breath as a gift. Here's to building one breath at a time, my friend. What does it mean to queen? What does it mean to queer our healing? Letting wild nature lead. Come with 
Your questions come with your magic. Come, 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 come. Thanks for listening to Queerly Forward. This podcast has been recorded and produced in collaboration with On Purpose Recordings. If you have questions, requests for topics, or feedback about the show, reach for us via email at queerlyforwardpod at gmail.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at queerlyforward. Take Take care care out out there, there, queers. queers.